Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be recording our last virtual podcast for a good bit of time because as of our next recording, Logan and I will be reunited again in Phoenix and it will feel oh so good. Cannot wait to get back to doing this all in person. But We've still got a great show for you all today because although some people may think, oh, we're kind of in a dead period as far as sports right now, NFL season hasn't started, the real beef of the NBA offseason is over, there's never a dead period in sports here on NerdSesh because we still have some free agency signings going down and then we have NBA Summer League and boy, that is a fun time of the year. There really is no downtime if you love basketball as much as we do. So today we're going to touch on all that. We'll start with free agency, and then for the bulk of the episode, we'll talk about some of our early takeaways from Summer League. Nothing better than overreacting to guys playing a game or two against fringe NBA players and then determining your entire opinion about them has changed or has been affirmed, and that's what we're going to do today. But we'll start with free agency. And really, the headline of free agency out of the last few days since we did our last free agency podcast is Dennis Schroeder signing with Boston. Now, Schroeder, ahead of last year, turned down I believe it was an 84 million dollar deal with the Lakers he was looking for something in the 100 million dollar range he ends up signing on a one-year 5.9 million dollar deal with the Celtics understandably he has been clowned relentlessly for that he certainly took a significant hit as far as what could have potentially been in his wallet but I think that this is a big time win for the Celtics and I think Schroeder is uh, going to have a real opportunity to prove something here on what is the definition of a prove-it deal. So how did you feel about this move? Yeah, I mean, he he definitely has uh, (laughs) – it's a prove-it deal to earn him some money, um, as Dennis Schroeder does his best uh, Latrell Sprewell impression uh, with the Lakers. I love – I absolutely love the Celtics roster now, Carson. I mean, they are – I don't know, like this signing puts them up there with the Knicks, I think, with the Bulls where – 
The East is just going to be an absolute dogfight, man, and it gives them genuine guard depth. They made that trade to get Josh Richardson um, earlier this offseason. It just their roster is just solid. You can have Schroeder, Brown, Tatum starting. Um, the other guard spots like Peyton Pritchard has looked really good in the summer league so far. He's gonna, uh, you know, also help bolster their guard depth. Uh, they bring in Chris Dunn. Romeo Langford has looked really well um, in summer league as well. You still have Marcus Smart here, like. This is the deepest guard depth uh, I think the Celtics have had in a while. And just with what Schroeder can do, we saw how he changed uh, the season for L.A. I think it it uh, helps Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because they can use them more off-ball. Schroeder's going to be really good at getting to the rack, collapsing uh, collapsing defenses and creating shots for them. He's a, he's a pretty good off-ball shooter himself. Like, I don't know, like, this was the best player that the Celtics could have gone out and gotten um, to replace Kemba, so this is a win, and on a bargain deal like this, one year, $6 million, what's the risk? Um, I love the deal for both Well, for both sides. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder isn't too happy, but um, a few things. I, I want to hear what you think of the deal, Carson, as well, um, but is there any, like, if Schroeder plays well enough this year, do you see him getting his bag next offseason? That's a good question. I think so, because... We have very short memories in sports, clearly, because Dennis Schroeder just signed to a one-year $5.9 million deal, and that was obviously driven by his postseason disappointment. He really struggled in that series against the Suns, had a zero-point performance in Game 5, and really just throughout the entire year in L.A., never fully found his rhythm, never had the most natural fit there. But a year ago, this guy was, to me, the best sixth man in basketball. I thought that he was robbed of the sixth man of the year award and showed the ability to be a really high level bench scorer who can do it with the ball in his hands as the dynamic athlete that he is with some facilitating to his game as well or off the ball because he shot 41% off the catch in that last year with OKC and that to me is sort of the swing trait in what Dennis Schroeder can really do because in LA we saw the shooting regress a bit. He went from 38.5% from deep overall in 1920 to 335 in 2021, from 41% off the catch to 36% off the catch. But at the end of the day, if Dennis Schroeder is going to be a solid shooter, when I know what he can bring me off the bench, this is a home run no matter what, because when we looked up and down the Celtics roster last year, it was just so clear that they were lacking that dynamic creator off the bench. They were just lacking in depth across the board, and you mentioned it. The addition of Josh Richardson, huge there. Con the continued progression of Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, both of whom have looked really good in Summer League. If those guys can just give you good rotational minutes, and Pritchard already did, but if he can take another step there, they are looking so much better. And you talk about how it's going to be a dogfight out east, man. Like... I am inclined to say I think so many teams can compete for the four seed, the five seed, but at the end of the day, only four or five teams can be in that top four to five seed range. And I just think the Celtics were a team that I looked at and said, okay, they'll take a step forward, but maybe not a huge step forward. But now I do think that Horford can work with what they're trying to do there. I do think Richardson, although he's coming off a career worst year, is certainly valuable as depth. They retained their key pieces with the exception of Kemba, who clearly they just wanted to move on from, and I don't think you can hold that against them. And now you bring in Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder is a really, really good basketball player, man. I'm not sure I've ever seen a buy-low moment like this. For a guy who is every bit in his prime, not at all over the hump, it just feels so reactionary that his value actually 
came to a low like this. And maybe there's personality stuff that's turning people off. I don't know. I think it's more just there was a lack of cap around the league. And because there was a lack of cap, it ended up being that the Celtics were in the perfect position to say, hey, we are in a good situation for you. We're going to win you some games. And you can go out there and do what you have to do to then earn yourself that bag in the future because he's going to have free reign with this bench unit. He's going to excel. He's a guy who competes on defense. Again, can be a playmaker like Dennis Schroeder is really, really good. So, I don't know. How high do you think the Celtics can go in the East because it's so tough that 5-8 through eight range is so good right now with the Hawks, with the Bulls, with the Celtics, with the Knicks. But where do you see them figuring into that conversation? Uh, that was the exact question I was going to swing back over to you, Carson. I'm going to say, man, I mean, concretely the top three, uh, are as we've already established, Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee seems like the no-brainers. Ah, I'm the guy who said the Celtics were going to win the <laughs> win the finals last year. I think they can go up to four, Carson. Like, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Tatum's a top 15 player in basketball. Jalen Brown isn't really far behind him. Schroeder's really talented. Like, I think a lot of how the East is going to shake out um, is, again, probably this year going to be on injuries, stuff like that. Like, that's how it always shakes out every year. Yeah, man, the Celtics, I do this every year with Boston, bruh, every single year, but I think they're probably my fourth favorite team out East. I I love their roster like I do every year. What about you? Uh, do you Are you as high on them as me? I would not have them in the four spot right now, no. I think that Miami is probably in that top four tier, and I don't think anybody is locked into any spot except for maybe Brooklyn and Milwaukee as those top two, and I think that maybe not regular season-wise, but playoff-wise, Brooklyn remains a clear favorite out of that group, presuming health. Outside of that, though, the margins are so slim. I think that I can slide the Knicks in at eight, even though I think they got a lot better than last year when they were the four seed. I still don't think that they can compare to some of the other teams out east right now. And then I think that Hawks-Bulls-Celtics range, 5-7, through seven, it's so tight. I don't even want to give you a hierarchy right there. So that's kind of where I stand on this. I think the Celtics got better. I think they'll be healthier, clearly. And I think that they should be better on both ends. I think that they should be deeper. But the problem is... That can be said for a number of teams out East compared to what they were last year. The Hawks are maybe the only team that didn't take that real step forward in the offseason, even though they nailed the draft, but maybe Jalen Johnson, Sharif Cooper aren't really factors right now, but they were clearly better than their record, and that's not just because they made the conference finals. That's also because when they were healthy, when Bogey played, they were, I think, at like a 56-win pace. They had what would have been the best record out East, a 56-win pace over a 82-game regular season, that is. So, somebody's going to have to be the odd man out. It's going to be a large burden on Tatum to take a little bit more of a leap, on Jalen to take a little bit more of a leap. And the one thing that does still concern me is that I really wanted the Celtics to add that commanding point guard presence. I've talked about it so many times before, but so that Tatum and Jalen don't have to be those just lone wing creators running pick and roll all day long. They can just be the bucket getters that they are. I don't think that they added that, but still, they added more creators, they got deeper, and they just got better all around. Yeah, and, and to your Hawks point, Carson, they were without DeAndre Hunter most of that run too. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, the Hawks are going to be scary. Um, final thing uh, on Schroeder that I want to ask, do you think this is the best value contract in basketball for this upcoming season? I think it has to be. And there are some good ones out there. Just thinking through, 
Some of the deals that the Lakers swung are pretty darn good. Malik Monk on the minimum. I think Otto Porter Jr., if he's healthy, which is a gamble, but getting him on the minimum is insane. Like, contending teams can swing good contracts, but Schroeder is just on a completely different level as a player compared to those guys. So, yes, I think that it's the best value contract. I think it's one of the best value contracts I can remember because I don't think either of us would be surprised if Dennis Schroeder went out there, averaged a moderately efficient 18 points per game, was sixth man of the year, gave you plus defense, playmaking, all the things that he brings to the table, energy, intensity, and could be a key guy for them in a playoff run who could help them win a playoff series. Like, that's all on the table to me, and you paid less than $6 million to get him. So you don't see that often in the sport of basketball for a guy who, again, is 27 years old. Like, that is really, really rare. Yeah, and Schroeder in the playoffs is like a hot shooting stretch away from being like in Reggie Jackson tier. Like you said, you know, our our memories are so short. All yeah. it takes is, is getting hot from behind the arc, and Dennis Schroeder could be a savior uh, in a series. Yeah, I completely agree. This is an absolute steal for the Boston Celtics. And he still had his moments where, like, athletically, he just was outstanding. He dropped 20 in three different games in that playoff series. Like, obviously... He became a fall guy, and yes, you should never score zero points in an important playoff game, and he had some off nights, but overall, he also had some really good ones where he was just repeatedly getting to the bucket, where he did shoot the ball well enough from deep, and I just think the narrative that is formed around him has been very much impacted by what his expectation was and the fact that he did ask for so much money because like what we saw with him in those three guard lineups with OKC, again, he can just kill you in multiple ways offensively. Celtics needed that. They needed that little bit of extra burst. With Fournier out the door as well, I think Schroeder can be a better fit. I just think all around, huge win for them. Huge win. So that is the big story, as I said. We have some other little things going on, though. Victor Oladipo is rejoining the Heat on a minimum deal, and you want to talk about value, actually. There is potential for insane value there. The thing is, we don't know what Victor Oladipo's health status is. Also, he's another guy who turned down like $100 million and unfortunately then just could not get a deal, obviously, nearly of that caliber because of health. So we don't know exactly what he's going to look like. When he was out there last year, he really struggled for the most part to be an efficient scorer to justify the amount of touches that he needed. But what do you think about that signing and what that could possibly mean for the Heat? But see, I mean, that's the beauty of him coming back to Miami is he's not forced to be that number one guy where he's just, you know, trotting out there expected to create offense. Back in Houston, it was a disaster. In Miami, it was a disaster. Uh, he didn't look like himself. Mm -hmm. Now, we can attribute some of that to injuries, some of that to how Oladipo plays the game. But in Miami, on this deal is probably the perfect spot for him because, one, if Victor Oladipo was at his peak defensively, that's all I really care about because defensively, the Heat may have the highest ceiling of any team in basketball, Lowry, Oladipo, Butler, Adebayo, and then a shooter or, you know, another three and D or whoever you want to throw out there, it's uh, the defensive ceiling for Miami is going to be scary if Victor Oladipo is, you know, anything like him, the old uh, VO that we saw yeah. uh, even last year. Um, he's, I don't really think he does anything for them offensively, Carson. I don't think, I don't know what to expect out of Victor Oladipo offensively. He's not a really dominant jump shooter. I don't know how he's going to look athletically when he comes back. Uh, I just, defensively is just what really intrigues me about this team. They're already going to be so good. He can just raise them in that regard. I I don't know, man. I don't like Victor Oladipo offensively. He's very much in the same, 
He takes a lot of bad shots, a lot of head scratchers. At least he did last time we were out there. Mm-hmm. Um, when is the timetable? Like, when can we expect uh, VO to be back on the floor? I really don't think we know. It's a quad tear that required surgery, and that was in May, I believe. So uh, I just think we really don't know. I know that there was a report initially where Windhorse said he could miss the next season, but then I saw something recently where he was aiming to be ready to play early in the season. So I think that it's just kind of a guessing game, and that's why obviously he couldn't justify any other team paying him really because it's too much of a risk. And it just makes sense to take that one-year deal no matter what because if he does play like he's capable of, he can still have real value in that subsequent free agency. I should mention also that this happened before our last podcast. I just think that we didn't mention it because, yeah, maybe it's not the biggest deal right now. And I agree, Oladipo has his issues, but he still had his flashes last year. Like, athletically, he didn't look gone. It was more about, as you mentioned, decision-making, consistency as a shooter. And Victor Oladipo, sure, he's not an outstanding shooter, but he's been consistently a mid-30s guy throughout his career. So, you don't want to have too many cooks in the kitchen, and uh, that can ultimately be a negative in Miami, especially bringing in Kyle Lowry if Oladipo is expecting to have some major role. But if you can slide him in and say, hey, come here, play 20, 25 minutes a game, give us your quality defense, your shooting on the wings, and then we'll give you some run with the bench unit you can create for yourself. And, I mean, he can always attack quickly off the bounce, presuming, again, that he hasn't lost all athleticism in his body, which he had not as of last season. There's no downside there. That's just really a win. The only downside, again, is having that too many cooks in the kitchen type feel And that's just going to require an ego check from Oladipo, which, playing on a minimum contract, coming off of a series of devastating injuries and a disappointing campaign last year, if anything's going to deliver you an ego check, it's probably that. Yeah, and I'd say, I think you're right. I think he either has to accept one of two roles, and that is being the electric six man where he has the ball in his hands and is running that second unit creating offense. Or, like you said, he just has to be a straight-up three and D and cutter and he can't be mad at it. And I think Oladipo can thrive in that role. Like you said, still athletically, if he's getting to the rack, he can finish strong against anybody. Um, it's just going to take a willingness to do so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he can I think he can succeed here. But like you said, it's going to take him really accepting a defined role. Absolutely. So elsewhere in free agency, a couple more small moves. The Utah Jazz added Rudy Gay who was one of the relatively big fish still out there, Hassan Whiteside and Eric Paschal, the latter two probably not all that important. But what do you think about what the Jazz have done just re-upping their depth after they did let Georges Niang walk but retained everybody else from that rotation from last year? I like it. They're all solid players personally. I don't understand going out and signing Pascal and Gay to three-year deals. I really like the value of the Eric Pascal deal. Three years, $4.2 million is relatively cheap. I just don't understand really going out and getting both of those guys because, in my opinion, they do pretty similar things. They're creators at the mid-range. They're decent spot-up shooters. But I, I don't know. They're going to do a lot of similar things, in my opinion, to like you know, Boyan, uh they're just really similar skill sets. I really think the Jazz needed like one more guard mm. that can create. I like Clarkson, I like Mitchell, and I like Conley a lot, of course. But I don't know. I just wanted one more guy that they can can count on. Like I don't is Mie Oni that guy? I, I don't really think so. And <laughs> none of these other three guys really. Um, I like 
I like them. Whiteside's going to give you some decent rim protection, some good rebounding. He can roll a little bit to the rack when he's engaged. Again, Pascal and Gay bring you shooting and a little bit of creation off the dribble. It's just, I feel like the Jazz are like one really ball-dominant guard who can create a way from really competing. And with some of the budget deals that we've seen go on, like Dennis Schroeder, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a guy out there they could go out and get and could help them. There are really three high-impact players. None of these contracts are really overpaying. The most are paying is, again, Rudy Gay, three years, 18.5 mil, like $6 million a year. I just would have liked for them to spread it out a little more positionally because you've got a lot of you got a lot of heads in the front court um, after these signings. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know that there's one real spot of need that you could point to for the Jazz with me. I think they have such a solid foundation. I loved their top eight so much last year, and none of that has changed. I like the Rudy pickup. I think that if you're getting me a bench scorer, a guy who can knock down 38% of his threes, that's a win. And then Whiteside, I think you could actually argue, is at a position of need for the Jazz and just that rotational big. Maybe they would like a guy who's a little more mobile, a little more switchable, who they can play as sort of a small ball five in the non-Rudy game minutes. But at the end of the day, again, it's always about expectations. And if you're just looking for Hassan Whiteside to give you 12 minutes a game, that's fine. I think that Udoka Azubuki is another guy who you could look at to maybe fill that role, but clearly he wasn't ready to do it this year. I don't even know if Whiteside cracks the the really typical rotation for Utah, and I don't think that Pascal will. I like Pascal, but he's just super weird. As you said, his offense is a lot of high post stuff, mid-range pull-ups. He's not that reliable shooter off the catch yet. I think he does a few things well. He's a smart guy. He's a Villanova guy. Those guys just generally know how to play basketball. He can do some nice passing for you defensively. Uh, he's stout. He's going to compete. He's just a really weird player in today's NBA, and it's not easy to integrate him in with any unit. So I think the Rudy Gay signing is a win for them, but at the end of the day, they stayed stagnant. Like, they did nothing of significance in this offseason, and as great as they were last year, when a lot of the teams around you are getting better, it's always a bit of a red flag if you aren't. So I'm not saying they can't replicate this past season success, but the task is a little bit tougher when, again, you don't actively go out there and get better. And I understand why they wanted to just keep their core together in spite of the postseason disappointment because I do think this is a group that was good enough to win a title last year. But, again, they didn't get better. A lot of teams around them did, and that matters. I would say that. I I think it's going to be really hard for the Jazz to replicate what they did last season with this cutthroat West. Well, of course it's going to be tough. Teams around them are going to be healthier and stronger, and they're going to be the same team. No, I would bet on it. Like, I just don't think the Jazz can do it. I would write them out of Mm -hmm. title contention. Interesting. Yeah, it's a tall task. I agree with you. I think that they have certainly fallen down the ladder But I think that they could still be a top five team in basketball realistically. Like, they have an incredibly high two-way ceiling, as we've seen. They have this exceptional depth of contributors. And so even though they don't have that top ten guy, I do believe that they can contend. But you're right, it's going to be tougher. And if I were to bet on them being the one seed out west again versus not, I would bet on them not, certainly. And they ended up not even making the conference finals anyway last year, so probably not the kind of smashing success that they were looking for when all was said and done anyways. So that's pretty much it for free agency. We still have some interesting guys unsigned. Laurie Markkinen, 
who it seems that nobody wants. He's restricted, so if the offer that he ends up getting is very cheap, the Bulls might be able to bring him back, and then if your expectations for him are just to be a solid rotational four who can knock down some shots, that's not bad at all. J.J. Redick still unsigned, has value anywhere as just that captain shooter. Paul Millsap still unsigned. I don't know that he's needed again in Denver, so we'll see what happens with him. And Avery Bradley, who has been kind of just traveling throughout the league over the past couple years, but another player who I think has value in a number of situations. Anybody that stands out to you out of that group? Yeah, I would say I've heard rumors to the Mavs, Pelicans, and Hornets for Lowry Markinen, but honestly, I think the path that you laid out is kind of his best fit if he gets a, a smaller contract and gets re-signed to the Bulls. Because then, with all of their new signings, there's so much pressure laid off of him, and he's a really valuable rotation piece where you can sub in Patrick Williams if you want a little more defense, and him at the four if you want a little more shooting. I just think going back to Chicago would be a really valuable. It'd be valuable for Chicago, and it would give Lowry, it would give him a defined role, and he would have a you know a, a, le- a lesser role than he did last season. Mm-hmm. But I think that's perfect for him. You just need 20 minutes a night and to be a good spot-up shooter. Yeah. I'd like to see him go back to Chicago. The one thing I'd like to, for you to explain to me, Carson, how the hell have the Miami Heat or the Lakers not offered J.J. Redick a yeah. contract? I don't know. Excellent question. Like, you would think at this point, he can't be demanding all that much, or even the Mavs to bring him back. Like, is this dude asking for that much more than the minimum at 37 years old? I don't know. He's taken a step back. He can still do the most important thing that he does on the basketball court, which is shoot clearly, and that can get him 18, 20 minutes in any rotation. But, J.J., maybe just go out there and try to win a ring. So, I don't know. I agree with you. I think he could be exceptional in either situation. Any team that is looking to contend, any playoff team, anybody really needs a J.J. Raddick. So, that doesn't make sense to me either. Avery Bradley, you know, he had a rough year and uh, has had some injury stuff, I would still bet on him for the most part, especially if you're not going to have to pay anything of significance. And then marketing, I think there are a few interesting options, as we mentioned. Millsap could be a rotational guy for some playoff teams, I guess, but he's getting old, and you see it every time he's out there playing. Logan, you're making a face. You're not a huge fan. I'm kind of with you. He had a a nice quarter in one of the Nuggets playoff games this year, but that was... (laughs) That was kind of it. For the most part, he's just a little bit frustrating, even though I used to love Paul. But, you know, he's older now, and things have changed. So, with that, I think we've covered everything there is to say about free agency. Now, Logan, we get to talk about Summer League, where we are a few days in now, and we've seen some really good stuff. I think that we have to start by just talking about the top five guys in this class going down the list, because this is... As impressed as I can remember ever being by the top of a draft class, maybe you can say that's confirmation bias, that was the expectation coming in, but each one of these guys has put on a show already in some way, shape, or form, even in just their first game or two of Summer League. They're just insane. So let's start with Cade, let's start with the top couple guys, he and Jalen Green just had a showdown last night, which was a ton of fun to watch. What have you seen from those top two guys? Um, first, I mean, Cade, I know a lot of people will talk about, uh, you know, his offensive game and that's what they're sold on. And don't get me wrong. I am too. I really liked how we saw him get his buckets. He was decent off the catch. Um, and you really impressed me with how they immediately, a lot of possessions, they would just dump it down to him at the elbow or in the post. And he's such an, he's already such an imposing force. Like he can just overpower guys to the rack. He's really good at getting his shots in the mid range. 
those things really impressed me, and I think we saw a few possessions. Um, one distinctly where he got that steal and then went on the fast break against the Rockets, uh, goes up on Sengun and just dumps the ball right down to Isaiah Stewart. Or, or yeah, Isaiah Stewart. Really clever passing. I've liked a lot of what I've seen offensively, although the first game was a little shaky. Honestly, the thing I love most about Cade so far is his defensive effort, dude. He brings so much intensity on that side of the floor. Um, he just In that first game against OKC, he just kind of made life hard on guys uh, with his wingspan, contesting shots, getting out there. And he was pickpocketing a few guys, just taking it from them. Um, he's a really good defensive player as well. That's what I've been really impressed with out of Cade. I knew he was going to be a good offensive player. He's really good operating out of the mid-range. He's a good catch-and-shooter. And he shook Jalen Green that one time, dude. That uh, that behind-the-back move was filthy. Um, uh, yeah, and, like, he's... Dude, he's good at finishing through contact. I know it was a lot against uh, Sengun against the Rockets, so we shouldn't write home a whole lot. Sengun's not the most imposing rim protector yet. But I was really impressed with Cade all around. I think... Uh, that first game against OKC was a little deceiving. He shot 5 of 17. I don't. He looked like he tried. He was a little nervous and like he tried to do a little too much in that game. Like the offense was just all on his shoulders. Um, I want to get to you on Cade. Another thing that I, that I think works here, him and Killian Hayes can work together. They can coexist, and I think that was really evident in that first game. Um, I got chills watching them run the fast break together a few times, dude, because they're just already. It looks like they're so in sync. Hayes wants to get the ball out on the break every time, and. Both of them are good at doing it. Like, I just love both of these guys in transition, and I think they can work together. Half court's going to be a little more interesting, but again, because Cade's a guy that can go in and play inside the post, he can go inside the mid-range and physically dominate guys and let Killian operate on the perimeter, I just think they're two really versatile guys that can play well together. So um, I'm going to say I love what I saw out of all these top five guys because I genuinely have, but Cade really surprised me defensively. Um offensively and I don't know I think Killian and him can work together for a long time I agree I think that the fit is encouraging there and I just think that if you're a Detroit basketball fan man whew, it is a good time to be alive right now because you really do have that foundation with Sadiq Bay on the wing with Isaiah Stewart at the five and I am still a Killian Hayes believer I just think we didn't see him get into his full rhythm this past year but that dude has some really special abilities on the basketball court notably that passing and if the shot is just reliable and decent enough that's a guy I want on my team every single day but I just think Kate has affirmed how special he is you said it on both ends you just feel his presence like he is just a natural-born superstar. I mean, he has everything. He has every skill in the book. He has the composure. He has the physical presence. You mentioned it. he had some nice threes off the catch, too, which is great just for his versatility. Like, he can be what you need him to be. He can be a great scoring wing. He can be your point guard. He can be a lockdown defender on the wings or taking on a lead guard. Like, the guy is just special through and through. And I don't think that there was ever any question about that, but... Yeah, I think that we can say that we're still feeling pretty good about that after a couple summer league games. How about the guy who we went up against in that duel last night, Jalen Green, who I know you were not quite as high on as a prospect. I was a fan, Logan. I actually said he's the best scoring prospect we've seen in years. I'm on the record as having said that. He has been the guy who's probably grabbed the most attention thus far for how impressive he's been. So how are you feeling about all that and what we've seen from Jalen? Well, I want to ask, so Carvel had him number one on his big board heading into the draft, correct? No. Carvel had him two. Okay. Um, either way, I just, I'm not I'm not a proud man. I, I know when to admit that I was wrong, and uh, 
Yeah, I was wrong about Jalen Green, man. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I was just skeptical about just guys that play like him. Like he's a his frame isn't all the way developed. He's a shifty, athletic guy. Again, but it works. This guy's just stupid. He's a stupid, confident bucket getter. And I completely underestimated that. Like when when Jalen Green wants to get a bucket, he's going to get it. And a lot of it's going to depend on the shot. But damn, is it smooth? Yeah. I mean, off the catch, he's. That's the biggest thing, man. Like I have not seen many many scores of the basketball that are this confident, and I think that's the big sell on the kid. The the other thing that I was impressed with, how I didn't realize how smart of an offensive and how aware of a ba- offensive basketball player Jalen Green was. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one possession against uh, against Detroit. He gets a screen from his big man, um, and then he gets trapped. He immediately kicks the ball off uh, to his big man and cuts straight to the bucket, leaves his defender in the dust, gets a bucket. Mm-hmm. This kid is a super aware cutter, um, and he just he knows how to manipulate the defense. In a scenario like that where he was trapped, he knew that if he got the ball off immediately that the lane was wide open. Uh, I drastically underestimated how, how smart of an offensive basketball player Jalen Green was, how confident he was, and just how skilled he is, man. Mm-hmm. This kid is a dangerous bucket getter. And uh, and I was wrong. Uh, this kid's this kid's gonna be a beast. Two games into summer league, we have Logan <laughs> flipping the opinion. I know, bro. I know you're you're gonna be <laughs> on the right side here. You're gonna be on the right side. I just don't know what there is to question about his game as a scorer. We don't see rookies come along like this. We just don't. And he's going to continue to get better. He has every trick in his bag offensively off the dribble the shot creation is remarkable athletically he's outstanding off the catch we saw him knock down some big shots the confidence is there the work ethic is there on ball off ball the potential is there I have nothing more to say I've loved Jalen Green but he was still my third guy in this class which is just a testament to how insane this group really is and I think that that brings us to the guy who was my favorite in this class Evan Mobley who ended up going third overall and Maybe didn't have the most impressive statistical debut. And offensively, I don't think had his best performance. And you see that there is still room for growth there. Like his fluidity, his length, his agility popped. That was what you expected from him. There were a couple moments where he's rolling to the bucket, he catches a lob, or he attacks from the perimeter. You're just like, man, not many seven-footers are moving like that. But you also saw his need to maybe add a little bit of that strength. I thought that he went up weak a time or two, and just maybe a little bit more of that comfort with the handle. You know, he certainly has the tools, and for his size, I think he's already very advanced there, but there was one possession where Josh Christopher was really pressuring him at the three-point line, and Mobley just sort of nervously turned his back to him, took a couple dribbles in, and then made actually a really impressive runner, but it's like, that's not what should be happening there. If you're going to catch the ball at the three-point line, you should be able to Either put your back into a guy like Josh, which I don't think he could have done because Christopher is a nasty competitor and Mobley just is not that strong yet, or you need to be able to confidently face up no matter who is on you, no matter how much of a pest they are, and still get to the bucket. Mobley's not all the way there yet, although I do think the tools are there for the growth. But again, we didn't expect him to be. Like There were flashes of that at USC, flashes that you can bet on, but he's not going to go from having moments to doing it every single time out just because he's on the NBA court now. So offensively, there was some good, there was some bad, but defensively, just as impressive a debut as you could have asked for. Sticking on the perimeter, showing great hands, a couple of really impressive recovery blocks, 
The rim protection is outstanding. The switchability is outstanding. And that, to me, gives him a remarkably high floor because you're going to get just a defensive savant and a guy who offensively can roll the bucket, can space the floor with room for so much more. A great passer. Like, not really any earth-shattering stuff here because I love Devin Mobley and I said he was the best prospect that I can ever say I've competently evaluated. But even in a off night offensively where you look at the box score and you say, oh, what was he, 5 of 17? I was still like, this affirms what I felt about this guy, and that's just a good feeling. Yeah, he was 6 of 17 with 5 turnovers, and I think people can look at that box score and immediately judge him and say, oh, you know, this kid's not as good as we thought. If you watched the game, like, I don't know, I was impressed. I was just as impressed with Evan Mobley as I ever have been, and I think you touched on a lot of it. Um, One, honestly, I wonder if this reaffirms his first game that we saw defensively and offensively, if it reaffirms the Jarrett Allen signing a little bit. Because honestly, I don't think putting Evan Mobley at the four to start out his career is the worst thing. Again, you talk about he needs to add that lower body strength. One, honestly, physically, athletically, I'm not really concerned at all about Evan Mobley and what he's going to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Like he's, This kid is a freaky athlete. He's one of the most physically gifted kids I've ever seen. And the reason I say that he can work at the 4-2, I think he can operate at the 5 immediately out of the post. And honestly, if you want some of that floor spacing, the biggest thing to me is that you can put Mobley at, on the corner right now or on the wing, mm-hmm. and you're not losing value as if he needs to be in the post. Because as you said, off the catch, if you give him... Give Evan Mobley a foot of space off the catch, and he's going to take two dribbles, and he's dunking the ball at the rack. Mm-hmm. That's a scary trait to have, man. When he, you give him space as a defender, Mobley's getting to the rack with ease, and that's terrifying, just a guy that size that can get to the rack that easily. I do think we saw some concerns with the um, handle. Mobley is not ready to run an offense. He's not even ready, I think, to take guys off the dribble at this point. He kind of looks scared to dribble, uh, as you said, but... Um, that's not as important. It's the he still has the potential to grow there. We saw him, uh, as you said, that great uh, rim running attempt with uh, Trayvon Blewett through that awesome lab against the uh, that awesome lob against the Rockets. Um, but no, I Carson, I just think that he can. He's going to be bigger than most fours in the league today. He's agile and athletic enough to stay with them. And again, he's willing to shoot the three ball. He can also take guys off of the dribble from uh, from the arc. Uh, if they're out of position at all when they kick it to him, uh, you know, off of a drive. Like, I don't know. Long term, I want Evan Mobley as this five, but I think Evan Mobley can work right now as a four. I don't think that's the worst thing for him in his career. Yeah, I think that he can play that role well enough. You're betting on the shot being better than it was in college, which is a bet I'm willing to make. He was 30% from deep in college on just over one attempt a game, but I think that he has the ability to shoot the ball better than that. But you're now putting him in a position where he has to. He doesn't get those same opportunities rolling to the rim. He doesn't get those same post touches where he's valuable as a passer. And defensively, you don't get his rim protection, which is still his greatest asset. So I agree with you. Evan Mobley can be a four, but I don't think he is best as a four. And the thing is, you can't really look at this and say, oh, this is to start his career because they signed Jared Allen for five years, $100 million. So this is the situation for a while, and I don't know how they move that contract. Well, I mean, okay, I was going to say, obviously that has to be the plan to move off of Jared Allen one day, but this is Cleveland, and I never know what these crackpots in the front office are thinking. Um, Of course, after they sign that contract. Um, 
I don't know. I just can't think in the right mind that this Cleveland front office is actually thinking about keeping Jared Allen at the five long-term over Mobley. But, like, do you think... Let me ask you this, then. Do you think that hinders Mobley? Does it hinder his development if for the next five years, if the Cavs never move off this Allen contract, does that drastically hinder his development? I think it hinders what they can be as a team. I think you're playing a guy out of his best position. Again, he can play the four. He can play with other bigs. He played with other bigs in USC consistently. His brother Isaiah is another big man, but Mobley was the five. So I just think it's okay. He's good enough to where he can probably play either role at a pretty high level. And right now, yeah, maybe he does need to get a little bit stronger to guard great post bigs and to protect the rim at the optimal level. Although, despite his lack of lower body strength, he was still one of the most effective post defenders in basketball last year. I think he held opponents to like low 30s shooting on post-ups, even though there were a couple times where you saw, okay, big, strong guys could move him. So, yeah, he needs to grow. I just think better to throw him into the fire and say, you're a center in this league and you're going to be a center, and there are spots in which we can play you with another big, that's great, that's a bonus, but you are a five, and uh, we want to just have as much shooting on the wings alongside you, as much quickness, versatility, all those things as we can, and they're not doing that with Jared Allen at the five. So, I don't know. They paid a, a good basketball player who fills a very simple role, $100 million, very Cleveland-esque. That deal, no matter what, will never be justified to me, even if Mowgli does excel as a four because you played a guy who's a, a bit above replacement level like he was a star guy. So, Mobley, I think we can both agree, maybe didn't have the most flashy offensive, best statistical game, but still very impressive. And I'll be honest, I'm just going to keep saying I'm impressed by these guys and keep saying that they've basically affirmed what we expected, but it's always great when you see it out there on the NBA court, even if it's only been, again, a game or two. Because you can still generally get a sense. Scotty Barnes was obviously the riser out of this group. Ends up going fourth. It was certainly surprising in the moment to the Raptors. It seemed to be that the consensus was that he was going to go fifth. But he ends up leapfrogging Jalen Suggs. What did you think about him in his debut? Dude, the Scotty Barnes that we saw in that first game didn't even look like the Scotty Barnes that played at Florida State. Like offensively, I... I had no idea what to expect out of Scotty. They uh, they started off. They dumped him. Uh, they dumped down some post touches to him, and he was taking guys easy, just not putting in easy shots. You know, close to the bucket. Mm-hmm. He flashed a little bit of a floater game offensively. He knocked down some catch and shoot attempts. His jumper looked smoother. I think the big thing that we saw from Scotty though uh, in this first game was just. I know I said this about Cade, his intensity, mm-hmm. his effort. Um, Scotty Barnes is a guy that's always trying to get that rebound. He's always trying to get a steal. He's just trying to earn that extra possession for his squad. And um, he's just a high-energy guy. Like, I love, I would love Scotty Barnes anywhere. He's, a, he's just a smart all-around basketball player. He got a rebound one time. Uh, and I know all the, the commentators are losing their mind. He throws that full-court left-handed uh, you know, pass down to get an assist on the fast break. Scotty Barnes does everything at a really high level right now, and he brings a lot of energy and effort. Uh, he showed flashes of basically everything in this game, and Scotty Barnes may very well have the, I don't know, I don't know if I should say the highest ceiling, but I don't know, dude. He works hard. He is already, in my opinion, the best defender in this class. He brings so much energy. 
And this is the best offensive game I think I've ever seen out of Scotty Barnes and all the tape I've watched. I was I was just floored by how well Scotty played in this first game. But a lot of it, again, was him just being smart, being in the right position to make plays and giving a lot of effort. Like, I don't know, a lot of this was just energy. Like, he made these plays happen. Um, Scotty's a beast, man. I, I'm, I was so happy with his first performance. Yeah, I'm definitely not with you on considering that he might have the highest ceiling out of these guys because I just think offensively he'll never be able to get to their level. And yeah, he played a really good game, found his way to 18 points, five assists by just doing a little bit of everything. Like he had a mid-range pull up, he had a three, he had a little push shot out of the post, he had a nice cut, he had a possession as a roll man, he had a floater, he had a putback, like he really did a little bit of everything. I just don't see him ever getting to the point where he's as natural, as fluid as a Cade or a Jalen Green there, or even an Evan Mobley, given just Mobley's variety of tools in his bag. But yeah, Scotty was really impressive. And I mean, I think you touched on the biggest thing. You said during the draft process that he was the best perimeter defender in the draft. I do not know how this guy could not be all defense at some point in his career. Like he is that freakish athletically. He is that freakish as far as his intensity. You just see the pressure he's applying to ball handlers. I just would hate to look across and see that Scotty Barnes <laughs> is guarding me. To be fair, not many NBA guys who I would be all that comfortable with, but like I would be, I would probably cry before I tried to put the ball on the floor. The dude is just going to fill his role at a very high level as a two-way player, and I think was really impressive, but I don't know if he was more impressive than the guy who ended up leapfrogging because I think Jalen Suggs, may have had the best debut out of any of these guys. Ends up with 24 points, 9 rebounds, I believe 2 steals and 3 blocks as well. And I liked Suggs. I thought that he was clearly 4th out of that top 4 because I questioned his superstar ceiling a little bit. And part of the reason for that was, okay, you know, how comfortable is he going to be as that fluid jump shooter off the dribble out of the pick and roll to really take the top off of defenses like that and make them respect him and I will say his shot looked good in this one man I was some of it was off the catch which is also great because it tells you okay he can play off ball effectively if he keeps that up but also he was confident pulling up had one from deep one from mid-range and then outside of that just did everything you expect him to do got to the rim with ease like he didn't have the most efficient day and maybe could have finished a little bit better around the rim but man did he just keep getting there athletically just popped over and over again. And defensively, outstanding, man. Had a game-saving block. I mean, three blocks from your point guard is just ridiculous. Like, I just think this dude is going to be able to, as we expected, come in and play a few roles at a high level. What you need from him can try to be that lead ball handler or can be a little bit of that off-ball secondary playmaker, play great defense. And if the shot looks like it did in this debut, I just don't see how he fails. So... I still think Scotty and Suggs are a step behind the top three as prospects. Like, nothing really changed about how I feel about these guys. I liked all of them a lot. Some of them I thought were, like, transcendent generational prospects, and all of that has been affirmed. But I know that you were a bigger Jalen guy than I was even. You had him third ahead of Jalen Green. So how would you feel about his debut? I, Suggs just reaffirmed that he plays absolute winning basketball, um, period. And I, dude... I think that this Cole, Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs may be just matches made in heaven. You talk about his proficiency off the catch. Dude, mm -hmm. 
oh, just the trade-offs. Cole goes into the mid-range, takes Suggs' defender with him because you can't guard Cole Anthony one-on-one. Mm-hmm. He kicks it out. Suggs knocks down a wide-open catch-and-shoot. Suggs drives into the lane, kicks it out to Cole Anthony. Like, I just think the two-man game between whatever tandem of guards you're running, Anthony, Fultz, Suggs, is going to be dirty. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that Suggs is just such a such a winning player on top of that, again, knocking down open jumpers, that's always good. Um, he runs the fast break well. These guys all love to get out and uh, and just run in transition. He's always making that smart pass to break up ahead. But in the half court on offense, Jalen Suggs, I don't think I ever stopped him. I don't think he. I ever watched him stop moving or stop moving the ball. Mm-hmm. He just... He's always running somewhere on the floor to get to open space. He's always moving the rock to somebody else if it's a guard, if he's knocking it down to the post. And honestly, too, when Suggs gets that smaller guard on him, uh, Carson, and gets into the lane, the way he puts his back down against guys and just bullies them because he's stronger. I mm-hmm. Suggs does so many little things on offense. The biggest thing is just the way he moves the rock and and keeps the, keeps the offense moving, but... I love everything about Jalen Suggs' game, man. I love this kid, and I am so glad he is going to have two scoring guards alongside him. I think the Magic are going to be a really fun team to watch this year, man. Super fun. And I think that that's the thing. You can look at a few of these situations and say, coming off of this draft, things are just looking so much better for them. I mean, the Rockets we will talk about, but man, do they have reason to be optimistic right now. But the Magic, the Pistons the lowly Cleveland Cavaliers, the Raptors as they try to rejuvenate and get back to the level they were at a few years ago. Like, it's just positives across the board. And I just can't remember the last time I was this confident in the top five guys in a class. Like, last year, you're looking at the number one overall pick in Anthony Edwards. There were still legitimate questions about his game, about how reliably he could shoot the ball, about his consistency as far as effort defensively, his playmaking, like the guy had the tools, but he didn't compare as far as how high his floor were was, maybe even to a Jalen Suggs. Like these guys are just all such sure things, and that is very, very unique, very special, and very exciting. Outside of the top five, though, the talent is still really impressive. The next couple picks, though, were seen, at least from my perspective, as being a little bit more gambly, a little bit more maybe hit or miss. Josh Giddy at six to the Thunder. We unfortunately only got to see a few minutes of because he ended up going down with injury. Although I will say his first play was a pretty impressive drive, ended up in a dunk, and he got a little bit of help from help from a screen. But one of the questions about his game has been that ceiling as an on-ball creator. And I don't know, that was a decent moment. It's not like he was crazy explosive, but he also didn't look out of place on an NBA court. And then at seven, Jonathan Kaminga who we have seen some very interesting stuff from through two games, going to the Warriors, into a situation where he is one of the raw top prospects in this draft, but he's in a situation where winning now is expected. So through a couple games from him, where do you feel like he's at in factoring into that equation and being able to help the Warriors? Oh, I love what I saw from Kuminga in these first few games. And the biggest thing is, Kuminga to me seems like he just knows his role. Like he doesn't try to do too much offensively. He's not a playmaker. He's not trying to go out there and create a bunch of different shots for guys. He's not a dominant jump shooter. He's not out there, you know, taking every catch and shoot jumper he gets. He is in a very simple role, and that is catch ball, get to rim, try to score. And when he's doing that, he's good at it. He is physically imposing. He's athletic. He's strong. He's fast. And again, 
with Kuminga, like there's always a purpose when the ball in his in his in his hands. There's no wasted mm-hmm. dribbles. He is getting the ball and he is getting into the lane with force immediately, and he's just crafty. Like I, I you know I know that's like a stereotypical thing, but he's he's aware, man, of where he needs to move his arms to get out of harm's way so he can put a shot up. Like mm-hmm. Kuminga's game right now again is really simple. It is slashing. It is bullying and bodying guys to get to the rack, and it is trying to be kind of slithery when he gets there so he can get his shot up. But if that's all he's trying to do offensively with the Warriors, if he the, when the ball is swung to him, if he's trying to get to the rack or just get it to another ball handler, I think Kaminga can succeed. And again, this guy got, what, 16 points off just basically being physically imposing? Uh, I was really impressed with Kaminga, man. If he knows his role and is just trying to get to the rack and score, I like it. Yeah, I would say that Kaminga is about where I expected. You mentioned it. Physically, crazy impressive. Like, we knew he was one of the best athletes in this class. He's right up there for the best athlete in this class, though, because it's not just explosiveness. It is strength, too. Like, he is bullying dudes, and he is just going to get to the bucket, as you said, in transition, outstanding. But in the half court, too, like... You know, I'm not going to compare him to Giannis, for example, but he has that ability of, hey, you know that I'm coming downhill. It just doesn't matter. I'm going to get to the bucket anyways. That's special. He also had some really nice moments defensively as a help side rim protector, showing his hands. Like, he could be a really, really good two-way player down the line. But the thing has always been, where is he at as far as the refinement of his game, as far as the ability to fill that 3 and D role that maybe isn't what he's best meant to be long-term at a high level, because that's what the Warriors need. Like, we can praise his skill set individually, but at the end of the day, they need a guy who can guard on the wings where, yeah, he projects well. It's a lot to ask of a rookie, but if anybody can do it with their athletic tools, it very well may be Kaminga, and then reliably knock down those shots. And that's where I do think there is still refinement to be had. Like, he is one of eight from deep. That's a small sample size. I'm not saying his shot is broken. He was under 25% from deep in the G League. But, again, the shot's not broken, and it may be that he shoots the ball better than that. Also, seven turnovers to one assist. Like, he just doesn't have those playmaking instincts. So, you praise his ability to understand his role and get to the bucket. Fair enough. But also, he can be a bit of a black hole in that he doesn't fully understand his gravity yet, I don't think, and how to facilitate and to capitalize on the attention that he demands from the defense. So, it's just going to be about the shot, dude. Because, like, there's so much else to like. I mean, he really is a freak athletically. He is a freak. You said it. Scoring 16 and 18 points against NBA players of any caliber when basically all you're doing is getting downhill to the bucket, that's really, really impressive. But if he's going to play minutes, he has to be able to shoot 35% from deep or else I don't know what you're doing with him. Or he has to develop those moderate playmaking instincts to when he's yeah. driving to the rack. And like I think you touched on it. He is so dominant at collapsing defenses and getting, you know, getting to the rack. Like as long as he can just become a competent kickout yep. guy to the wings, he's a valuable asset to have in a half-court offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all around, I like Kaminga. I think that it's really tough to find a top guy in this draft who I didn't like. I will say, though, I wasn't high on him probably relative to the consensus, and I still have questions about his ability to compete right now. But long term, you're certainly encouraged, and like this guy's very impressive for a seventh overall draft pick. He's just in a tough situation because he's going to be expected to do such 
veteran things right away as a rookie. I will shout out the other Warriors pick, Moses Moody, who at 14 I thought was one of the steals of the draft. Man, Moses looks good too. I mean, he is getting to the bucket. He's using his length, his fluidity there, which was one of the questions. And yeah, he doesn't make it super easy on himself because he's not a crazy explosive athlete. Some of the finishes are tough, but he had a couple of creative finishes, reverses going with the offhand and had some really nice passes, which was one of my favorite underrated parts about Moses' game because the playmaking numbers weren't crazy in college but he had some really aware reads and he was a willing passer and I thought that we saw that again in a couple spots had a really nice no look pass to a guy sitting in the dunker spot in one of those games so the Warriors got two great rookies man they're just two great rookies who are going to be asked to do a lot early on and we'll continue to get a sense of how equipped they are to do that but really I don't know that we'll totally know until it's time for them to play actual basketball with the guys around them because their roles right now are so different. It's like they're in college or the G League. It's like, okay, we're the stars on our team. We can go do our thing, and that's just not what it's going to be when they're actually out there with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. So I think that there's some good with Kaminga. There's some things that still need to be worked on, but overall the talent is pretty much undeniable. So there's sort of where we stand on the top, guys. I think overall pretty good report cards across the board now let's just look at some really fun teams some other things going on with summer league that just makes this such an exciting time is when you have maybe a little bit of unexpected stuff or you just see rookies who are balling out who weren't at the very top of their class I think we got to start with the Rockets Logan because Jalen Green may have been their main attraction but right now this is a team that drafted three guys in the first round so they had prominent talents to begin with but they're 2-0 and and all three of those guys have looked really good. That's Alper and Sengun as well, and Josh Christopher, who they took at 16, and I believe it was 24, respectively. How have those guys looked to you? Uh, to me, I mean, Josh Christopher's looked really good just creating off of the dribble. He looked super confident in this first game, and I mean, uh, we knew he could do that, but I mean, not to this level. Like, I just... I didn't expect Josh Christopher to be this good out of the gates. Um, like you said, he's a dog defensively as well. Um, I'm not as high on Sengun as I once was uh, after watching a first few of these games. I've been impressed with Sengun and what he brings in the post. I'm just... I don't know, man. Like Some of those typical little like drop-step maneuvers, the some of the little stuff he does in the post didn't work. And, like, I'm not demoralized. Like, he was still finding a way to help his team offensively. Uh, I know one possession, he just jumped up and he timed a perfect cut with Jalen Green um, and threw a dime to him in the post. They got an easy bucket, um, earned him an assist. But, like, some of those typical moves that we just saw just didn't work. Like, I'm not completely demoralized by Sengun. He's a decent rim protector, but he needs to get better vertically. He needs to get stronger. Um I don't know, man. I'm really concerned about Sengun long-term defensively as a five, and I just, I wonder if I was a bit fooled by the level of competition because some of those same post moves and stuff just weren't working in these first couple of games. I'm not, like, turned away from Sengun or anything. I still think he's going to be a good player. I just don't know if he's going to be, I don't just don't know if he still has the same ceiling that, that I expected. Like, he's, he's, he's a little more raw than I originally anticipated heading into the draft. Wow, Logan. I must say, this is a very surprising take from you. I feel like Sengun has been one of the standouts thus far. He's been highly productive, and I feel like has answered more questions than he has 
raised. I should also point out that I said that the Rockets had three first-round draft picks. They had four. They also had Usman Garuba, but we don't really acknowledge him as a first-rounder here at Nerd Sesh, and he's not with the team currently. But the three guys who have been there, I thought, have all been very impressive. I mean, Sengun is averaging 18, 11.5, 3.5 assists in four blocks a game, and yeah, you can raise questions about him as a rim protector as far as strength, but the dude has eight blocks through two games, and I actually think has done a good job of challenging vertically. And to me, that was one of the biggest questions about his game is, is he sort of that defensive tweener? And I can't say that it's been authoritatively answered by what he's done in two summer league games, but I feel better about it than I did based on what we saw from him in Turkey. I don't know how I could feel worse about it. Like, I think that you talk about some of the post stuff, okay, Maybe that's not all going to work every single time, but still, he has found a way to be super productive offensively, like the great touch we expected. He has been dominant on the glass, very instinctual as a role man, as a cutter, and has initiated and facilitated from the perimeter a bunch. Like, it's funky how he does it. He's got, like, this slow behind-the-back move, and he just kind of moses, <laughs> moses his way into the paint. But he has gotten to the bucket starting from the three-point line a good amount of times. I don't know if that works against legitimate NBA players, but I just think we've seen that basically everything that there was to feel good about in his game, there is still reason to feel good about. The floor spacing, we'll see how that continues to progress. He did hit a logo three. It was in a heave scenario, basically, end of the shot clock. But, like, I'm shocked by this. I feel like, if anything, this is like to the thunder, hey, why are you again trading away the 16th pick in the draft for imaginary assets down the road when you could have gotten a really good player? And for the Rockets, you got a guy who was expected to be in that lottery. He slides a few spots. You pick him up. I still am interested in seeing how he fits with Christian Wood. But long term, I feel good about Sengun. Can you, I mean, you went on about why you have these questions, but I'm just surprised. Um. I don't know. I guess that's more it. Like, I just don't know how much I trust long-term him as a four. Now, I mean, as, excuse me, as a five. I think, I don't know, man. I think the Rockets could give Sengun a run at, like, him alongside Christian Wood. I just don't know how much I like him as a long-term five right now. Yes, I've been moderately impressed. I just, I don't know, man. I don't know how much all of his game translates against really tough, high-level NBA competition, I guess is my big thing. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, we just saw him win MVP of a league as I believe the youngest player to ever do so, where he basically averaged 18 and 10 like he's doing here in the summer league thus far. Like, I just think the dude finds a way to get to where he wants to go to make good basketball plays. And I'm going to bet on him like he's still not a traditional center in any sense on either end. And there are still areas in which I'd like to see him improve, but I certainly don't feel worse about him after a couple games of Summer League. And I think that he has justified the lottery grade that I think a lot of people had placed on him before the draft. I think he's still my favorite international guy. If I were going to bet right now who's going to be better, him or Josh Giddy, I don't know. We'll see what Josh looks like when he's back. I loved Josh Giddy at a point as well. I just think he's a little bit of a weird fit too. I think I would probably lean Sengun, like... I think the defense, to me, has made me optimistic because that's the biggest question, and I don't know. I thought that he performed pretty well there overall. When it comes to Christopher, my thought is just maybe I should have just bet on raw talent more because there's never been a question about Josh Christopher's athleticism, about his shot-making when he's on, 
he was a top 10 prospect in his high school class. He was a phenom. He was one of the most popular guys in that high school class. And now through a couple games, he's averaging 14 points and five and a half assists. And you mentioned it. Is that confident pull-up shot maker off the dribble? That I've never questioned as far as the confidence and as far as the shot making in moments. Like if you watched ASU basketball last year, there were games where you saw Josh Christopher do stuff and it was just like, wow. That is an NBA move. That is an NBA pull-up jumper. That's an NBA take. It just wasn't consistent enough. So I'm not going to overreact to two games in that respect, but he was dynamic in the open court, had some really nice moments in transition, which is great to see utilizing that athleticism, made some really good decisions as a playmaker, like Josh Christopher, five and a half assists per game. Are you kidding me? This guy was a black hole on offense in college. Like it was probably the greatest limitation in his game was that he wanted to just be that one-on-one creator. He didn't want to acquiesce. He didn't want to create for others for the most part. And that has not been the case through a couple games here. He's been unreal defensively, which I probably could have bet on and could have told you that's the safest thing about his game because he's a competitor and he has the physical tools. He's been getting to the rim at will. Like, he just looks really good. The only thing is, still, he's not going to demand a ton of touches as a one-on-one creator in real NBA basketball. So we still need to see that reliable catch and shooting because that's never been his role obviously he's had the ball in his hands forever he's been a one-on-one creator and his shot is fine but I still need to see it be more consistent so I'm not suddenly sold on Josh I mean I wasn't in love with the pick at 24 but I was kind of okay with it and that's still mostly where I stand but I think that this has reminded me after a very sour ending to the year for Josh Christopher with injuries being a part of a disappointing team being a part of the reason why they didn't fit together this has been a reminder of okay this is why this guy was considered to be so special so all around I think the Rockets nailed it and this is a team that already had building blocks who both of us really liked with some of the young guys there Jay Sean Tate who's not all that young but he's young as far as his years in the NBA KJ Martin Kevin Porter Jr. like there's just a lot to like in Houston figuring out the fit And all of that will be a process, adding that second real star talent alongside Jalen Green, except for, of course, Christian Wood, but like a guy who's maybe a little more in line with their timetable. That would be nice if they could nail another draft this coming year. But overall, props to them. They've given their fans a lot of reason for excitement very quickly, and that's impressive stuff. Another team that has been a ton of fun in Summer League has been the Atlanta Hawks, a team that... I think made two of the best value picks in the draft, Jalen Johnson at 20, and then Sharif Cooper at, what was it, 48? Somewhere in the 40s. He had the most wild fall of draft day. A couple guys who we both consider to be lottery-type guys at certain stages in the draft process. How do you feel about what you've seen out of those two guys through a couple of summer league games here? I don't know how the hell either of these guys dropped uh, to where they did, especially Sharif Cooper. I... You know, you talked about before the draft, you thought a non-lottery guy with star potential. That looks like a great great call. Uh, I talked about how much I like Sharif Cooper um, after the national championship game. Sharif Cooper is a special point guard. He just is, man. Like, I don't, like, guys don't see the floor this well as, as rookies, man. Guys don't make passes and plays like this as rookies. Guys can't forcefully get into the mid range like this. As rookie, Sharif Cooper is a guy who's going to be getting rotational minutes and is going to be a valuable asset immediately in Atlanta. Like, I, there's so just go watch either of these games. Like, the passes he makes are special, just special. Um, 
The one that I think of most is uh, what it was like near the end of the first half against the uh, Celtics uh, when he's going up with that layup and just dumps it off behind his back as three guys go up to block the shot um, and the Hawks get the assist. I, Sharif Cooper is a very special point guard. He's going to be dominant out of the pick and roll. He's going to be dominant in the mid-range. He's he's special, man. Like, I can't hype the kid up enough. That was a good call pre-draft Carson. And then Jalen Johnson. Uh, one, uh, I think he affirmed he's a really good fast break runner. Like, we already knew that. He's really good at getting out in transition. The thing I was just most surprised about is his shot. I didn't expect uh, Jalen Johnson to be able to shoot like this. Um and he's getting to the line, too. There was one possession in that Celtics game, Carson, though, where I wanted to smack Jalen. They dump it down to him. They dump it down to him in the post against Carson Edwards. And I'm just like, okay, Jalen, you know, you got a foot on this guy. Why don't you just back him down, put up a little post hook? And he, he like, steps out another two feet and takes a fadeaway jumper. Obviously, he nails it because that's what these guys do. But that Carson Edwards is, like, 5'9". Just go to the rack. Um... Outside of that possession, I've been the Atlanta Hawks absolutely killed this draft. We had a, I had a lot of we had questions about Sharif Cooper's shot. I think we still do. I don't have I don't have questions about Sharif Cooper as an NBA player though, and I had questions about Jalen Johnson. I don't know. I think the Hawks killed this draft. Whether you know these guys get a ton of rotation minutes, uh, but like think about all the all the young talent here too in Atlanta as well, Carson. Not just these two guys, Onyeko, Kongwu, like. The Atlanta Hawks are so young, so deep, and so talented, man. I, I love what they did uh, in this draft and in this offseason. These two kids look like future stars. Yeah, I think that they've combined for 70 points through a couple games here, so they're both averaging in the high teens. Jalen Johnson actually might be at 20, and the defining moment of that win against the Pacers yesterday was a Sharif Cooper game-winning three and I agree, there are still questions about his shot. To me, that's really one of the few parts about his game offensively that you can question because he has touch, he has great playmaking instincts, he's quick as can be, he gets to the bucket, he gets to the line, all these things that there were to love about him. It's just he happens to shoot the three leaning backwards, very stiff, and he was not good at it in college. And I don't think one 5 of 8 game can just erase all of that whatsoever, but a backpedaling three off the catch in the corner to win the game. It's a pretty impressive moment, and he definitely did not look scared to take it after I think he only took one in the first game. So that's something still to monitor, but no matter what, dude, no matter what his shot ends up at, it's a win at 48, and if his shot turns into something, like, that's a lottery-type player. That's a guy with star potential because of his command of the game elsewhere and his scoring ability elsewhere. And I think, Jalen, you said it, transition, athletically, just popped I think his shot's going to be fine I never thought that his shot was broken it was just something of a question mark and so if he can continue to establish himself there do it with more volume do it more consistently that bodes well I do think both these guys need to calm down they've kind of been given the keys to the car and along with those 70 combined points they've got 23 combined turnovers through two games the lowest individual total either of them has had is five turnovers so you know that's a sign of still catching up maybe to the speed of the game, to staying in control, staying composed, all that. There's definitely a couple possessions where, particularly I think with Jalen, he goes up and you just see, oh, that guy doesn't have a plan. He's just up in the air right now, and <laughs> we'll see what happens. But the talent is undeniable. The potential is certainly there. And 
huge win for a Hawks franchise that is just doing some unbelievable things right now, man. They are just knocking it out of the park, and good for them because they found a couple guys who were clearly undervalued, and they capitalized. So outside of any of the players we've mentioned or the Hawks or the Rockets, any of these teams, is there another favorite individual player or a team that you want to shout out through the summer league thus far? Yeah, let's run it up for uh, for my boys. I thought the Kings did an awesome job in this draft, man. Um, first, we can talk about Davion Mitchell, man, and what he's been doing in this summer league so far. You know, I talked about after the Kings made the pick, you know, I questioned why uh, they would take another guard after our rotation is already so deep, again, with Halliburton, with Fox. Davion Mitchell can play basketball anywhere. And I questioned, after Carvel brought up the fact about his slight frame and, you know, would he be able to guard NBA guys? Not when you're, when you got that dog in you like Davion Mitchell does, man. The kid doesn't care. And you can just tell the instincts off rip, uh, what he did to Book Knight, what he did to... Um, uh, what he did uh, against L.A. Like, uh, Davion is a special defender, and I don't care if it's not as at a position of need. Mitchell could play anywhere. He's mm-hmm. He's got great playmaking instincts. He had 10 points and 9 assists, I believe, in that game. Um, and it's not just Davion Mitchell, too. The uh, I, Dude, I still don't know how to say this guy's name. Uh, the big man out of Utah State, um, Queda, Queda, uh, the Portugal big man, that kid, too. Great rim protector. I think him and Davion are going to be something special off of the bench uh, in the pick and roll. We saw a couple lobs out of him, too. I'm just, I think the Kings just knocked this draft out of the park. Um, Both of these guys are going to be in the rotation immediately, and they've immediately upped their defense. But, like, both of these guys Mm -hmm. have pretty well-defined roles offensively and defensively, and they're just impact immediately from day one. I, I love what the Kings did in this draft. I'm... For once, for once, I am so happy with, with what they did. They didn't take Franz Wagner, and we got two impact guys in the rotation from day one. So uh, I, I'm ecstatic. I love Davion, and I talked about how I would have considered taking him at seven for the Warriors. I don't know how you talk yourself out of a guy like that who is just <laughs> seems like such a sure thing. The only thing you could question is the shot because of the free throw percentages, but if the biggest red flag is a guy who just shot 45% from three, it's his shot. I think that that guy's doing pretty well for himself. Or if it's, you know, his ceiling, okay, well, he's 22 years old and he just led a team to a national title. Like, I just think he's been such a clear, sure thing. Summer League has affirmed that. The dude is dynamic. And defensively, yeah, like I said, I think he's just Drew Holiday because he applies insane pressure. He gets up in guys' grills. He makes them uncomfortable, takes away their space. He's strong. So I don't really care if he's you know, under 6'1", or whatever. That's fine. He can battle. He's not going to be highly versatile, and maybe he won't ever be the most valuable defensive player on a team because of that, but he's a dog, and he's going to guard his position at a really high level, and I think, undeniably, a home run there for the Kings, even though we'll see how the fit works, but yeah, I agree. It'll be a little bit weird. You're taking the ball out of guys' hands who would prefer to play with the ball in their hands, but as long as Halliburton and Mitchell can be really reliable shooters off the catch and if Fox can just be solid there, I think it'll probably work for the most part. Um, I want to see uh, if there's any other rookies uh, that impress you. I'm going to bring up one more, though, Carson. Uh, it's your boy, uh, Corey Kispert. Uh, I watched the uh, Wizards-Kings game uh, the other night, and, like, you know, it's not going to show up in the box score. I don't think Kispert blew him away, but 
I had really underrated his playmaking instincts, man. Like, the kid mm-hmm. knows how to open up shots, knows where to move on the floor. Uh, there were a couple possessions just just with this little pump fake. He got into the mid-range and opened up shots for his teammates. Of course, because they play for the Washington Wizards, they didn't knock them mm-hmm. down and he didn't get the assist. But um, I like Kispert basically anywhere across the league. We kind of knew that that was going to be his role, immediate rotation guy who can knock down shots. But I've been really impressed with him so far. Um have you liked what you've seen out of Kispert, or are there any other guys that uh, you saw uh, in the first round that you liked? Kispert really is just Joe Harris, man. Down to every single little T, down to having a little bit of that ability to create for himself, a little bit of that floater, a little bit of those playmaking instincts, the ability uh, to maybe compete defensively. We'll need to see him do that really at the next level. But, like, yeah, Kispert, I just think, has been such a sure thing. I'll shout out a guy who was not seen as such a sure thing. I thought Josh Primo looked pretty darn good out there for the Spurs. Super controversial pick at 12. I was surprised by it, but I'm always reluctant to hate on that because A, I liked Primo, and B, when a guy is that young and when you can see, okay, he has the athletic tools, the fluidity, the shot making, like maybe he's just been really impressing them. And it was a weird performance. He ends up with 17 points. Five of those buckets came from tough mid-range shot making like he had a couple of turnarounds that he knocked down a pull-up like he wasn't creating a ton of space for himself and you can say okay that's not the most sustainable and that's an adjustment he'll have to make because he didn't have the ball in his hands a ton at Alabama he was whatever like a tertiary guy you could maybe say he scored like eight and a half points per game it just wasn't his role because they were a team that was trying to win now and he was young and still had to develop and a lot of it was just from beyond the arc so he'll still have to figure out that game inside the arc, how to get those good looks at the rim, which I think remains something of a question. But I thought he made good enough decisions as a playmaker with the ball in his hands, and I was just impressed by the shooting. And just he just looks smooth out there, and I like Primo. 12 may still be too high, probably is, but I don't think that you can just say, okay, this kid's not going to be good because he is going to be a good basketball player, I'm pretty sure. The role, we'll see, but I believe in the talent. Other than that, I got to say, I really do like what we've seen from a couple of Boston Celtics. Peyton Pritchard, the dude is balling. Like, not rookies here. These are second-year guys, so it doesn't matter as much because they always seem to be a little bit like the big kid coming back to the schoolyard just to remind everybody who's boss because these guys do perform well. Your guy, Manuel, quickly had a 30-piece. But Pritchard putting up 22-8.5. and eight and a half. The playmaking has been very, very impressive for him. He's also made 11 threes. Like, he's not going to be a dynamic scorer, but the shooting, the playmaking – and you know what he will bring competing defensively. That's all great. And then, got to shout out my guy Aaron Neesmith, Logan. This is really the reason I'm talking about the Celtics. I was a huge Neesmith guy last year. Rough rookie campaign for him, although he did get better as it went along. 33 points yesterday with seven threes. The shooting off movement was just, ooh. It was exactly what you want from him. And that's really what can separate great shooters. Like, okay, it's fine and dandy if you can knock down a stagnant catch-and-shoot three, but when you can do it moving left, moving right, in rhythm, that's when I'm really impressed. And that's what Aaron Neesmith did in this one. And also had some great defensive possessions, and you want him to be in that 3 and D mold. That was good. Two of which led to them him knocking down a transition three as the trailer. So I just think... Yeah, I'm not going to overreact. I'm not going to say Aaron Neesmith has fixed everything. But what I like about this is it's 33 points in a way where you don't look at many things and say, oh, he just did that because it's against Summer League. Because, like, 
he was somewhat filling the role that he would fill in an NBA game. Like, he attacked off the bounce a couple times, but he was primarily being a catch-and-shooter, and sure, the defense isn't as good, but those are shots that he could reasonably get, take, and make in an NBA game. So, I like that from the Celtics, and again, if those guys can take a little bit of a step up, that'll help their rotation a lot. Anybody else in this category for you? Any other favorites? Um, oh, I do want to say, though, that was another big thing with Kispert. He, uh, the Wizards were running a lot of offense through him early, and he knocked down a uh, like a fading three-pointer uh, towards oh, the wing. He's an amazing movement shooter. <laughs> like That's how you can weaponize a guy like that. I, yeah, it was super impressive. Dude, I think, honestly, like this is a big season for the Celtics for those reasons as well. Like We have been waiting for you know for years and years for some young talent to develop here in Boston like just in the rotation if these guys can step it up it just makes them that much better and that much more competitive it's exactly what they were hoping for last season uh Romeo Langford too I thought has looked pretty good Mm -hmm. let's talk real quick about another guy who was a Carson Breber favorite last year and was put in a situation where he's on a contending team wasn't able to reliably get on the floor are we seeing a Jalen Smith revival right now, Logan? Because obviously they had to see Frank Kaminsky minutes in the finals. That wasn't great. And I'll give anybody who's not familiar the story arc for me with Jalen Smith. When Jalen was, I think, in the 50s or 60s on Mike Schmitz of ESPN's NBA draft board, this was early in the college basketball season, I was like, I think this guy's a lottery talent. He does so many things that project well to the NBA. He can guard a little bit in space, he can protect the rim, he can space the floor offensively, he can be a high-level role man, great athlete, great shooter, defensively was a real plus, all these things. And then he ended up shooting even higher than I would have expected going to the Suns in the lottery and did not play last year effectively. And I know that some Suns fans have been a little bit excited about his first couple games, he's been productive, but what have you thought about him? It's tough. There's a lot of things I do like about Jalen Smith. The biggest thing is, as you said, it's the defense. Um, He's agile. He has got super long arms. When he gets switched onto the perimeter, I'm not scared. Like, I know he is going to, it's going to be like when Carson's guarding you on the three-point line, your shot's probably going to get blocked because of those long arms. Hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm not scared when he gets switched out there. I know he's a competent on-ball defender. He's still a good, um, he's a good rim protector. Like, I love Jalen Smith defensively. And he's not a bad player offensively. Like, he's he plays bigger than he's listed. You know what I mean? Like, he's good at going out and getting boards. He's mm-hmm. a big body inside. Honestly, I don't really... I'm going to keep it a buck with you, Carson. I'm going to keep it a bean. I'm yeah. going to keep it a stack right now. Please do. Keep it a haunted. <laughs> I, uh, I like Jalen Smith. I, I don't love him. I think, honestly, yeah. the only way that I see Jalen Smith being a really special player in Phoenix is if his shot is super on. Because when he was knocking down those catch-and-shoot attempts, I was like, dude, Jalen Smith could be in this rotation, could be a really valuable asset. If the shot's not there, I don't know how valuable a player Jalen Smith is, but if he's knocking down open threes, I think he could play in any rotation. Defensively, I think, is where he really shines so far here in the summer league. There's been good and bad with Jalen for sure. I'm certainly not as high on him as I was when he was coming out of the draft. And I will say, just to keep things in perspective, like, I I don't know where Jalen would have ranked for me in this last draft. Like, he would have been a very late first-rounder, if that. That's how much better this class was. Like, thinking about the guys we got excited about in 2020 compared to 21, it's just ridiculous how good this draft was. He's averaging 13.5 and 13.5 through two games. 
that 13 and a half points for the Suns is like 25 because they're literally scoring in the 50s and 60s in their first couple summer league games. But no, he does some good things. He crashes the offensive glass hard. He got 12 offensive boards, had a couple really nice moments in transition where you see his fluidity as that big man in space. But overall, 3 of 11 from deep, has to be more reliable there. 10 of 29 from the field can settle a bit. He's had a couple nice moments as a role man. And then defensively, even, I think it's been a mixed bag. He had one outstanding recovery where he got beat off the bounce and then got right back in the play and swatted a shot. But also, I think, got beat from the perimeter a few too many times. And you mentioned Logan. He's switchable out there and he can hang out there. But also, he was out there a lot because he's playing a lot of minutes at the four because he's starting alongside Kyle Alexander, who is another big man and who is probably more of a traditional center. So he's not outstanding there. He also got out muscled inside a couple times. So all in all, I can see why he wasn't on the floor in the finals. Like he's a bit weird at the four or the five. He still has a ways to go. I don't know that he has a crazy high ceiling. I don't think I ever thought he had star potential because he clearly didn't have any of that ability to really create for himself. I was just like, you know, basically Miles Turner with maybe a little bit less strength, a little bit more springy athleticism, and I'm not going to bet on that happening anymore. So, yeah, mixed bag from Jalen. I don't think you can be super excited about what you saw, but you know what? He produced. Good for him. Going back to the rookies here, the guys who really actually matter in Summer League, if anything matters in Summer League, have there been any guys beyond that sort of top tier who we talked about or any guys beyond some of the favorites we already mentioned who have really impressed you any later picks maybe um i did like what i saw um a little bit out of jericho sims um he was nice rolling to the rack like nothing special He, he has a really designated role getting to the rim dunking the ball um, he did that well for the Knicks. Uh, I liked what I saw out of Miles McBride for the Knicks. And you brought up IQ. Y'all are in trouble this year. Anybody facing the Knicks, that boy is scary. Dude, that step back is so filthy. I don't I don't know where he got that. Uh, Emmanuel quickly is a problem. Yeah, everybody should be scared. Um, I love that man. Um, you should make a video about him. I like that. I, I might do that. Um <laughs> Speaking of uh, speaking of our guys, last guy I will mention, a man the Knicks drafted um, and that was traded to Charlotte. Kai Jones is just going to be a beast. Like we saw a little bit of flash uh, in the Charlotte game, a couple of times him rolling to the rack, just some big jams. But mm-hmm. Kai Jones is special, dude. That, that athleticism, his just a few of the times he was rolling to the rack, he's just physically imposing. I still think he may be away from cracking Charlotte's rotation immediately. Yeah. He may have to spend some time in the G League, but. Kai Jones is going to be special, um, for sure. That that kid, he's the future in Charlotte alongside Lamelo. Okay, so Carvel Taft, friend of the show, who was on for our draft podcast, did a very good job with us. After two games of summer league, said Kai Jones is going to be nothing in this league. He's totally out on him, and he will admit that he was already wrong on that. So I have to admit, I haven't actually watched a lot of the Hornets yet. It's summer league can't watch everything. I was able to find the highlights from his first game, and you know, you see his athleticism still, like he's getting to the right spots. I think he had four dunks and ended up with a double double. I didn't see the second game, which is where Carvel became alarmed and said that he was like airballing shots like a madman or something. I don't know. I wasn't able to see it. So for now, I will withhold comments on Kai Jones, but I'm certainly not going to be out on the guy after two summer league games. 
maybe I would be a little bit more alarmed if I had seen what had Carvel so up in arms, but you won't catch me saying anything negative about Kai for a good minute. And you know what? If I need to put off watching him to continue to live in denial happily, I will do just that, Logan. I don't need to watch Kai Jones if he's going to be bad out there. So I'm optimistic. I appreciate you affirming your belief because, dude, I mean, that poster that he had, oh my goodness. Like, that's where you just see, okay, put the ball on the floor, show your athleticism, your fluidity, all of it. Yes, Kai. Yes, do that a hundred times over and shut Carvel Teft up because he is my enemy and anybody who is not aligned with me on Kai Jones is my enemy. Other than that, I thought Trey Murphy looked good. He wasn't a late pick, but at 17, a nerd sesh favorite. I think that we both liked him going to the Pelicans. 26-9 and nine with six threes. It was a nice Trey Murphy game. It's like what you expect from him. It's like Neesmith. Even in Summer League, you know, it's not like he is a show-stopping talent creating for himself, just like he wasn't in college. But he knocked down his shots and I thought looked pretty good out there. Can we just can, can we just cut that part out and just post that? <laughs> Anybody who, who doesn't like Kai Jones is my enemy. I haven't laughed that hard in a minute, bro. You need to have good enemies, man. That's something people really forget in life is if you don't have a nemesis who's keeping you up at night has you what's, plotting and scheming, what's, the, what's point? the point exactly you got to find nemeses wherever you can find them <laughs> i will have plenty this year and i will come up with some maniacal schemes and uh you guys will hear about them it'll be some good stuff all right so outside of the rookies and outside of even the second year guys because really we've only talked about those guys thus far because they're generally the only people of any relevance in summer league have you seen any vet who you think is making their case as a legit NBA guy based on what you've seen thus far. Yeah, I, I've got one. Um, and he plays for the uh, for the Portland Trailblazers uh, Summer League roster. And before I get into who it is, I just want to give some credit. Listen to this. Listen to some of the members of this Portland Trailblazers Summer League roster, Carson. Michael Beasley. We got Kenneth Fareed. Emmanuel Moutier. Like... It's 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 an eclectic <laughs> mix uh, here in Portland. Um, there are two guys, honestly, that I think deserve NBA looks. Uh, genuinely, the first guy that I'll highlight, uh, a former G League MVP, actually, 2018 G League MVP, Antonio Blakeney. He won it with the Windy City Bulls. Um, two seasons in Chicago in 2018 and 2019. Um, he put up 17 and 18 there per 36 minutes and spent last season in Cleveland with the Canton Charge in the G League. Um, in this summer league, though, so far, 18.5 points uh, in about 20 minutes a game In uh, so far. He put up 12 and 18 minutes against the Clippers on 5 of 11 shooting. Against the Hornets, Blakeney scored 20 straight points in the fourth quarter against Charlotte, was a complete offense, puts up 27 total in that game in 18 minutes, 9 of 10 shooting from the field. He went 7 of 7 from the line, and he's just... He's a smart mover on offense, man. There is a dangerous spot where Blakeney just looks like he's a guaranteed buck. It's right from the left elbow. He's got a little fading jumper that he puts up. It seems like it's always wet. He's always trying to get into the lane to put up those shots. And, again, he's dangerous from that elbow. He's got a quick trigger release. He's super shifty. Honestly, man, he reminds me a little bit of, like, a Shake Milton. Like, I think if somebody gave him the minutes, he could just fill it up as a shooter off of the dribble, off the bench. Um... And then the next guy that I'm going to bring up, Kobe Simmons, dude. He's also on the Trailblazers Summer League team. Kobe's blazing quick. His his jumper's still a little funky to me. He's got a he's got a weird hitch in his release, but he's blazing quick. 
Um, I think him and KPJ were like one of two G League guys last year to put up 18 and 7 a night. Um, I just think both of these guys need to have NBA looks because they can provide valuable rotational minutes and fill up roles. Kobe Simmons can just be a backup guard somewhere and you know help run a second unit. Blakeney, I think, can anchor a second unit as an absolute bucket getter. Um, but Blakeney is a guy I just think has to get an NBA look. He's he's too much of a buck to not have to not be on a roster this coming season. And then Kobe, I just think Kobe can be a good uh, a good rotational guard. Um, are you either on a Are you on the train with either of those guys, or uh, or are there any other guys that you'd like to give a shout out to? I knew that you were going to say Antonio Blakeney. I just could feel it. No, listen, I'm not gonna. I am the one who came up with this question, and yet I refuse to answer it because I don't think I'm going to be sold on anybody based off of a couple summer league games. But Antonio Blakeney can get a bucket. Kobe Simmons, man, that is a real throwback name. I remember back when he was at U of A. Yeah, he's quick. He's a talented guy. But no, I'm not going to bet on anybody cracking a rotation based off this. I just feel like Blakeney is best served as a perennial G League bucket getter. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's an honest way to make a living. Okay, we just had to take a brief pause because of technical difficulties, and during that pause, Logan told me that Antonio Blakeney planned a robbery on his own home in this past May, invited some guys over to his house to play cards, and then called up some other guys and said, hey, come rob these chaps. This is who Logan Camden is, is rooting for. He knew that, and he withheld that information from you all, and he ignored it. No Antonio Blakeney. Antonio Blakeney sucks. He's a villain. He's the villain of Summer League now. <laughs> no! <laughs> yes! I didn't want you... That's exactly why I avoided it. I didn't want you to paint this picture out of him being the bad guy, bruh. And anybody who supports Antonio Blakeney is my enemy! We just, we literally just created our, another nemesis for you, Carson. Dude. Do, do the Blazers and the Hornets play this summer league? Because if we can get a Kai Jones versus Antonio Blakeney, real hero-villain dynamic, I think that's what we all need. All right. Anybody else throughout the entirety of Summer League, hero, villain, good, bad, ugly, who you want to shout out here as we wrap things up? Hero, villain, Michael Beasley, um, <laughs> Kenneth Reed. Um, <laughs> just go watch the Trailblazers Summer League team, bro. It's, it's weird. I can't believe those guys are still out there grinding. Good for them. Trying to get on a roster. Dude, I think Fareed could play the Dennis Rodman role somewhere, but he's just such a atrocious offensive player. You're lucky Dennis Rodman is in North Korea yucking it up with Kim Jong-un right now, or else he might be offended by that comparison. Kenneth Fareed? The manimal? In whatever he is? Is he 30 now? Like, his, his career was so brief, but he must be 30 now, because that was like seven years ago. That's a good question. How old is... I'm looking that up right now. Kenneth Fareed is... Kenneth Reed born 1989. Yeah, he's, he's 31. 30. That's nuts. Where did the where did the time go? Where did the time go, man? Other shout-outs. I'll shout out Patrick Williams just for being insanely confident. He's put up 43 shots in two games, Logan. Like, if you're a starter on a decent basketball team and you come back and play Summer League, you just have the green light to go do whatever you want. And he did have 30 last time, and, you know, the shot looks good enough. Some of it on ball, some of it is a cutter. It can be a little bit of a big man, a little bit of a wing. I got to say, I like Patrick Williams, and I wish that I hadn't eviscerated the pick so much when it happened, but you know what? I think he just looks like a different player than he did in college. So you live and you learn, 
And that's what we've done throughout this episode, Logan. We lived a little, we laughed a little, we loved a little, and we learned a lot. So, there you have it. Everything you needed to know about Summer League for those of you who have something better to do than go ahead and watch pretty meaningless basketball in the scheme of things. But it is always fun for us here at Nerd Sesh. If you want to continue this wonderful joy ride through life with us through the NBA, now with the NFL season starting up shortly, and if you want to take a trip back to memory lane and go on some of those sports history adventures with us as well, do some trivia and all of that, you probably know where to find us. You can find us on YouTube where you can see that we post our full podcasts. Going forward, those will all have video of us in person, which will be fantastic. And you can also see that we make some videos specifically for YouTube there, specialized content. I just made one on the Chicago Bulls and why they're the most fascinating team in the NBA. So you can go and check that out. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your audio content. You can follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram is at nerd sesh. And TikTok is at nerd sesh as well. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. And I have been the man Antonio Blakeney allegedly paid to rob some suckers (laughs) who came to play cards at his house. (sighs) And this was Nerd Sash. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.